Well, if you were not with us last week, then you're not sure what these two letters are upon the stage. It's this R-E. Well, it is indeed the start of a new fall series called, called Re, where we are, we are revealing this week. Last week, we were refocusing, and each week we'll have a re-word that we're looking at uh, as we examine the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, the first people who came together by the calling of Jesus for the purpose of following, being discipled by him. And, and in that journey, they go from really being kind of a motley crew of guys called together to at the end of Jesus' time with them, to a point where they are ready to go forth into all the world to reveal the good news about Jesus. That's a miraculous transformation if you think about it, from where they started to where they ended up. And last week, we started by talking about Peter who is the first apostle always listed in the scripture, when we see the list of the 12 there, and his encounter with Jesus, where Jesus refocused the, the, the frame and the mission of his life, where when he met Peter, Peter was primarily focused upon fish. But after he encountered Jesus, Jesus said, I will now make you a fisher of people. He went from being focused upon fish to being focused upon people. There was a refocusing within Peter's life that happened. And as we looked at that, I encourage you to consider that all of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ have received the same calling in in a different way. It kind of comes at the end of Jesus's ministry, the Great Commission, but essentially the call is the same, is that regardless of the vocation, of the opportunities that we have before us, Jesus calls us to have a focus upon people, which led us to the question for each of us to consider, where is your fishing hole? Where is the place in your life where you can have influence and have a relationship where you may be able to reveal Jesus Christ to somebody? And that's what we want to talk about today. Is we want to continue that discussion today and have a look today at Peter's younger brother, Andrew, and talk about what it might look like to actually go fishing in that fishing hole, if you will. Now, Andrew was a fisherman just like his brother Peter and just like his father John. And they lived in the town of Bethsaida. Now, every time I see the word Bethsaida, I want to call it Bethesda, but that'd be a video game company, right? So it's a little bit different. So, but it's Bethsaida, not Bethesda youth, right? So that's where they lived, and they're in this fishing village. Now, Andrew had the opportunity and the privilege to be the very first apostle that was called by Jesus. And he was with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. And out of a passion that was built up during that time spent with Jesus... He had this desire, this deep desire to let other people know about Jesus as well. And so in obedience to the great commission that was given to all followers, he traveled extensively in his missionary journeys. If, in fact, Andrew is known to have traveled throughout what we would consider in modern day Russia, Turkey, and into Greece. He spent many years traveling throughout those areas. In fact, if you were to go to those areas today and, and go to some of, the, uh, some of the cathedrals and whatnot, you'll find that Andrew is the patron saint in the Ukraine, in Romania, and throughout Russia as well. Now, like most of the apostles, he was martyred for preaching the good news about Jesus. And he died in southern Greece. And he died, by, like his brother, by crucifixion. But also like his brother, according to tradition, Andrew did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so while he wasn't free to pick the means of his execution, he was sentenced to be executed by crucifixion. That was a fact. But at his request, he was bound instead of nailed. And he was crucified on an X-shaped cross instead of a T. 
In fact, that X-shaped cross is known as St. Andrew's Cross and is featured actually on the Scottish flag. If you look at the flag of Scotland, that's what the X is, is is St. Andrew's Cross that they've placed on there. Now, from what we know about Andrew and from what was recorded in Scripture, Andrew was a guy who had this deep hunger for truth. He was a man who was known as being very loyal. And after his experience with Jesus Christ, after that initial experience, we get this sense that there was absolutely nothing more important in his life than Jesus. To the point where he was not only willing to leave everything that he had and everything he knew to follow Jesus, but in fact, whenever we see Andrew come up in Scripture, particularly in the Gospel of John, whenever Andrew is mentioned, it seems like he's bringing people to Jesus. Like he's been so captivated by Jesus that if he meets somebody who doesn't know Jesus, he's like, you don't know Jesus, i got to introduce you to Jesus. And he brings them along. We see this, for example, in John 6. Andrew is the one who brings the boy with the two fish and loaves that Jesus uses to multiply and to feed the 5,000. We see also in John chapter 12 that Philip encounters some Greeks who want to meet Jesus, but, but Philip, who was an apostle, could have just taken them directly to Jesus himself. He decides to take them to Andrew. Why? Andrew's the, the inviter. Andrew's the revealer. I got some guys to meet Jesus. He give them to Andrew. Andrew will take them and introduce them to Jesus. And then we see in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, which will be the passage for today we'll be talking about primarily. In that passage in John 1, verse 35 through 42, the very first person that Andrew brings to Jesus is his own brother, Peter. And that's what we're going to focus on today, is the fact that Andrew was an inviter. Andrew loved to reveal Jesus to other people. That's what he was known for. And he gives us this impression that Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus was so impactful that he just had to tell others so they could come and see too. So that they too could come and see the one who had so changed Andrew's life. Now when we first meet Andrew in this passage in John 1, 35-42, we see that Andrew, he and a friend are with their spiritual mentor, John the Baptist, at this particular time. Now on a regular basis, whenever possible, they would make the trip down to where John was baptizing and to where he was preaching. And as long as anybody can remember, John was kind of this, this, this odd fellow who lived in the desert. And, and when you came around with an earshot, you hear him saying things like, like he's preparing the way. He's preparing the way for one greater who is yet to come. And he would tell people to whoever would listen, whoever could, could hear him, he would say, guys, we got to get ready. We have to get ready. You need to repent. You need to turn from the evil. You need to turn from the unfaithfulness because the kingdom of heaven is near and we need to get ready. And many people, including Andrew, were captivated by this message to the point where they believed and they accepted what John was telling as one who was preparing the way. And they were even baptized by John and he became a spiritual leader for them. But see, as the crowds grew, around John, so too did the concern of the religious leaders around John as well. And so one day, some religious teachers and some Pharisees come to him, and they they say, John, who exactly are you? Are are, are you the Messiah? You know, the Jewish people had, had believed and hoped for this promised spiritual political leader who would come one day. And John said, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well, well, John, are you Elijah? You know, there's a speculation that, that near the end time that, that Elijah would reappear. 
John said, no, I'm not, I'm not Elijah. Well, well, maybe you're the prophet then. You see, there is this, this, this prophecy that, that throughout that one like Moses would return in the future. And, and so John, getting, I have to imagine very frustrated at these questions of them not listening and not understanding with, with irritation that both sides are lacking understanding. He, he quotes the prophet Isaiah and says, I am a voice of the one in the wilderness who is making straight the path for the Lord. And then he added, there is one coming. There's another one coming, folks. I'm preparing the way for him. But there is one coming whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and take his shoes off of him. See, and Andrew and others were so enthralled with this message and the anticipation of this one who is coming. And the excitement was building within them until this one day when, when Andrew is meeting with John and, and something catches John's eye. And, and, and he stands up and he, he points off in the distance a little bit to, to a man who's there. And Andrew didn't know it at the time, but, but, but John's pointing to Jesus. And with this building excitement in a loud voice, John announces to everybody within, within earshot, look, there he is. That is the Lamb of God. He's the one who will take away the sins of the world. He's the one I've been telling you guys about. And John's zeal was so contagious that, that Andrew just jumps up and runs over to Jesus and, and he stands in front of him, not really quite sure what to say, just probably just staring at him in an awkward fashion. And then Jesus breaks the silence and, and very simply says, what do, you, what do you want? Which is such a basic, but really a pivotal question. Andrew, hoping for a chance to get to know this man better, says, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says for the first time, words that I hope we would want to say to people too, come and see, come and see. And so Andrew and his friend go with Jesus to where he was staying, and they spend the entire day together. And we're not really sure what happened or what they talked about throughout that day, but it's reasonable to assume that they, they spent a lot of time talking, and I'm sure there was some laughter taking place. It was most of the day, so they probably shared a meal together. And we can be confident that Andrew wanted to know about Jesus. So, so Jesus not only would share about himself, but also probably taught. But then when evening comes and the time ar- approaches for, for Andrew to take the journey back home, he made like the best time ever getting back home because he was propelled by the thought, I have to tell Peter. I have to tell Peter what's happened. And that's the first thing he did. The first thing he did when he got home is he went and he found Peter and he said, Peter, we have found the Messiah. You have to come and see him. That's exactly what Peter did. And was equally amazed by his encounter with Jesus. Now before we jump into discussing this passage and what it can mean to reveal Jesus to people, I want to point out to you that in this story we have an opportunity to witness a complete picture of discipleship. You may have missed it because it's a relatively short story and it moves along at a pretty decent pace once Andrew encounters Jesus. But but we really actually see a a complete picture of discipleship within this message. You see, Andrew demonstrated this process that we will see repeated in his life and in other people who are called to follow Jesus. And one that I hope we would follow in our own lives as well. Where an individual has an opportunity to meet Jesus. So they, they meet him and they have a chance to get to know him. And they get to know him, and it reaches a point after that period where they decide to follow him. 
But after they decide to follow him, they go to that final step of choosing to reveal him to others. Now, this idea of meeting him, many people here, everyone here has a story about a journey that they've been on towards meeting Jesus. That, that idea that we've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Where somebody, whether in our family or a friend, somebody at some point in your journey, through word and possibly even through deed, shared with you the love of Jesus. And you had a chance to have a personal encounter with him. In Andrew's case, that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who set up this meeting, who revealed Jesus to Andrew. But after you meet Jesus, then you have this period of time where we go through getting to know him. Because nobody is asked to just blindly follow Jesus. We have the scriptures, which we declare to be authoritative and true. We have a chance to get to know him through that. We have a chance to get to know him through the lives and the testimony of other people. And so this period of time after you encounter him, where you get to look into it, you get to learn more about it. For Andrew, it happened within that day. He spent the day with Jesus, getting to know Jesus. And then this third step, this follow, where what you have learned, what's been impressed upon, you reaches a point where you cross that line of going, I'm not just learning and contemplating, but, but at some point in these last few minutes, I've, I've crossed the line to where I believe it. I accept it. I'm no longer questioning all of these things. I'm, I'm moving towards this point of following. But it doesn't stop there because we continue to grow then throughout the rest of our lives as we follow Jesus Christ. And that's where the transformation happens within a person who decides to, to make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior and to begin following him. Now, for many Christians, that's unfortunately actually where it ends. But we can't stop there. We can't just meet Jesus through this personal encounter and then get to know him a bit and decide to cross that line and start following him. We can't stop there. We need to finish the picture and go to the point where we choose to reveal. Just as somebody revealed it to us, we need to go forth and reveal him to others because converts are supposed to make new converts. That's how it works. That's how we complete the cycle. It's natural for us to want to share with other people Jesus Christ, when he's had an impact upon our lives. But that's not a foreign concept, if you think about it, because there's all sorts of things that we encounter for good or for bad that we want to share with other people. When we have experience with things in this world, it's our desire to help and to share with others that are around, whether it's for good or for bad. You want to offer your input. If you go to a restaurant you like, such as the last little while, Nadine and I went to a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant downtown called Rostizado fantastic. I recommend it. You should go check it out in the arena district. But it's about a three-hour wait to get in usually. So some of you don't go hungry, but you'll get hungry by the time you get in. Conversely, 10 years ago, I took Nadine to a Waffle House in Atlanta. That was the worst ever. Don't ever go to the Waffle House. A hotel. Fairmont Lake Louise. Amazing. It's a fantastic place to go for a couple of nights. The Howard Johnson downtown Regina was probably the worst hotel we've ever stayed in. (laughs) Movies. 1977 Star Wars. Amazing. 1999 Jar Jar Binks. No. Right? No comment. Sports. Oilers. Five stars. The Flames. I'm not sure if they have any stars. Do they have any stars? (laughs) No. I don't think. I think it's been a while. Uh, You see, but the point is, The point is, if we like something, if we like a restaurant, a hotel, a movie, a team, we are excited about it. We want to share that with other people so they can share in it too. 
If we think if it made a difference in my life, it'll make a difference in your life too. And then we can share something in common. We can share this experience together. But when it comes to Jesus, a lot of people struggle with the reveal part. Let's just be honest. A lot of people struggle with the reveal part when it comes to Jesus. In this past week, I came across an article that quoted the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a guy by the name of Dr. Al Mohler, who was speaking in 2015 at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And these are the words he shared. He said, the vast majority of people who've been baptized by our people are our own offspring. We've never been very evangelistic in terms of people who aren't those to whom we gave birth. So he was speaking of the, of the Southern Baptist Conference. But as I read that, and I thought about the last decade or more that I've spent in ministry, I couldn't really argue with the details. Now, there's exceptions. But for the most part, the people that I personally know who have come to faith, the people I personally know who have stepped into the baptism waters are children that we have brought into this world. Now, on one hand, that's to be celebrated, that we have seen our homes as a fishing hole in which we are trying to raise up the next generation. But on the other hand, it should be a startling fact, a startling fact that that seems to be a majority, a large percentage of those who have taken that step of faith and public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so I hope as we talk about this, we'll see how important it is to not only identify the fishing hole that Jesus has called us to, But then to start fishing. What do I mean by fishing? Well, very simply what I mean by fishing is that you're looking for opportunities to engage people in authentic relationship that allows for you to demonstrate God's love through action that eventually leads to a point where you can share his truth with words. So it's at this point, it would be natural for the pastor to, to quote the Great Commission to to say it's at this point I'm going to teach you about go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them, everything that Jesus taught us to do. I'm not going to do that because I think we know that. I'm pretty sure most of us, if not all of us, have heard that multiple times. And we're familiar that that command exists and it's really quite a straightforward, simple command. And we know what we are called to do. But instead, for the couple minutes that I have left... I just want to briefly address some of the barriers and the challenges that people often bring to me when they read it. I want to address perhaps some of the reasons that we're not doing that. Now, perhaps some of the reasons we're not reaching out to those who don't live in our homes. So consider these next three questions with me. These next three barriers. One I run into on a fairly regular basis is sometimes people say, well, I don't know anyone that I could reveal Jesus to. Now, this really goes back to that first question we posed last week, which is, where is your fishing hole? Or another way to look at the question is, what people or what groups in your life do you have relationships with? What people in your life do you have influence among? And this could be in multiple areas. It could be in your families. And families, folks, has to be number one. Because the home is supposed to be the primary place for the bringing up and for the teaching of spiritual truths. The church is supposed to be secondary. If, it, if you look back at how, how you are being discipled, your kids are being discipled, and the church is number one, it's not how it's supposed to be. The home should be the first place that people are being discipled. The church should be secondary and should be complementing what's happening in your own homes. 
Part of the reason we chose the orange curriculum for our children's ministry this year is because there is a home component, a very intentional home component. And there's an app you can download that gives that information to you so that as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, we can be instructing our children and raising them up in the home. So when they come to church, what they're learning is reinforcing in the secondary to what is being done in the home. But the first place we should be looking at is our own homes, our faith, our families. The second place you can look for these groups of influence is that regardless of age, we can look at our friends because it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, all of us long for community. We all want to have community with other people. And so there's friendship groups we can look at. We can look at our workplaces. And I know we need to be careful with that. And we need to be careful with what we do at work. But if you think about it, you spend a large percentage of your day with the group of people that you work with. And it's natural to believe that over a period of time, they're going to get to know you. You're going to have opportunity to share your life with them in a very, in a very friendly and natural way. And if you are doing that with eyes and ears to see, opportunities will present themselves. Where you can maybe, maybe meet up after work, or there's an opportunity to invite them to your home to, to get further into some of these opportunities in life and these struggles in life where you can come alongside them and be in action and possibly even in words a revealer of Jesus Christ. But there's also our teams and clubs and neighborhoods and schools and, and, and our kids' friends and, and all these opportunities that exist around us, these potential areas in which we can go fishing. If we'll have eyes to see and a desire to see these things. Typically, I hear this comment from people who are challenged by this because a lot of them don't actually have any non-Christian friends, which can be the challenge that they're really facing. Where at times, people's lives get so revolved and, and wrapped up in the church that there isn't an investment in groups outside of the church. And if that's where you find yourself, I want to encourage you to consider what it would look like to open your circles. What would it look like to open that circle of exclusively Christian people you know and invite in people who are a little different? Invite somebody into your life. Build a relationship with somebody who maybe isn't the exact same belief and worldview as you. It can be enlightening. At the same time, it can create wonderful opportunities for us as we have people then to reveal Jesus Christ to. One of the leaders I worked with a few years back was a lady who would hold these things called Matthew parties. And now how she defined a Matthew party was she would invite all of her Christian friends to come, but you weren't allowed to come unless you brought a non-Christian person with you. And it was based upon Matthew 9 verse 10 where it says, When Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were there, and they ate with him and his disciples. And so she's tried to intentionally recreate this in her home on a quarterly basis. Now, there's no agenda to it. There's no surprise, well, now we've got you in and we've locked the doors, we're going we're gonna to preach, or we're going to have a hymn sing. Nothing like that. The purpose? We're having a friendly get-together. We're having an opportunity to build relationships with people we wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to meet. And the feedback time and time again that she gets, especially from those who are non-Christians that come, they would say to her, wow, you Baptists are actually kind of normal. <laughs> which, which sounds weird to us. But to those who are not in this immediate circle, they have some weird thoughts about us sometimes. And to just get some people in a room together and go, wow, you guys like food? Huh. Oilers too, hey? Go figure. Right? Like we're just normal people, but normal people who happen to have met Jesus and have been changed by him. Just to build these relationships. Now, a caution on this one, though. Nobody likes to feel like they're a project. Okay? 
So before we even start, nobody likes to feel like they're a project. People like to seek genuine relationships with one another. Now, you'll, you'll know if somebody's a project if you talk to them or befriend them simply because they're a means to an end. And if somebody knows they're a means to an end, they're going to respond negatively. What people respond positively to is when they're engaged in genuine relationship and they feel like somebody truly cares about them and wants to know them and truly wants to know them and love them. And they can tell the difference. They can tell if they're a means to an end or if you're seeking a relationship with them. And they, themselves, as a person, are the end. So that's the first thing to consider. And who do we have that we can invite? Who do we have that we can reveal Jesus to? So hopefully you've already have, or you can establish some authentic relationships with people who, who you could one day reveal Jesus to. But you may also be thinking, and some people have also said to me, well, you know, I just don't feel equipped or knowledgeable enough to reveal Jesus to people. Now this one's quite common. This one's actually very common and is not without merit. I understand this one. However, I think at times it gets used to the point where it becomes needlessly debilitating in our efforts. Because first off, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on how much you think you do or don't know. The reality is, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, if you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, you've believed it, accepted it, and are seeking to follow Jesus Christ, right there alone means you have a testimony. And do not sell short the power of your personal testimony. This, this story about your journey to getting to know Jesus, the impact he has had upon your life, and the difference he's made as you do life with him, especially if you can explain that, what it's like to do life with him versus life without him. Your testimony. Don't underestimate the power of your personal testimony, in particular with the people that know you and care about you. Because the moment you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that moment, if you are the first in your group to make that choice, you are already steps ahead of people that you're friends with. And you now have a story to share with them. And that can encourage them and bring them along. So you have something to reveal to them. The critical thing is that we need to just do it. And Paul states it this way, he, in a very convicting manner. He says, how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? We can exchange that word preach for reveal. How can they believe in the one they've not had revealed to them? And how will it ever be revealed unless we go and reveal it to them? Now the pressure of such a statement should propel us to our own personal growth in the Lord so that we are continuing to grow in our knowledge and our awareness and our testimony and what we have to share continues to grow. That needs to be always happening within the life of the disciple. But often in these moments when you step into those deeper waters of wanting to reveal Jesus to somebody... I can tell you this, is that quite often God's Spirit will guide you. And God's Spirit will reveal to you the words that you need in that moment. Trust God to give you the words. Push through the uncertainty and the challenge. And trust that God will give you the words, even if your words are less than perfect. Like, I mess this up sometimes. I'm a pastor, I have multiple degrees in theology, and yet there was one time a little while ago... A lady was in my office for counseling. After she shared her story, I'm like, you are so ready to hear the good news. And I could feel the excitement that this was the perfect opportunity. And so I started to share the good news that that we're separated by sin and and God sent his son to bridge the gap between us. And if we put our faith in him, that we can be transformed anew and we can be saved and have eternal salvation. And and I started going through it. And partway through, I was thinking to myself, "I'm, 
I'm confusing myself what what I'm saying here. I have no idea what I'm even talking about. It's like I just rambled off about something totally unrelated. And so I finally just just cut it off because I knew I had gotten off track. And the whole time she's just staring at me like I'm crazy. And I finally just zipped it because I had said too much already. And she goes, I'm going to go. And she left. Left my office. I felt awful. I'm like, I get paid to do this, right? (laughs) And I'm doing this terrible job. Just felt miserable about it. But then about two months later, I, I'm on my way to an evening meeting at the church, and I walk by a room where they're holding an alpha course, and she's sitting in alpha. And I got to talk to her later on. I'm like, wow, how'd... I was trying to find a way to say it politely, but I'm like, how'd you get here? Because it sure wasn't me <laughs> that did that. And I found out through her story that God took my awful, poor offering that planted a seed, and he used that, and he added some others to it that led to a moment where she's sitting in Alpha, and six weeks into Alpha, she gave her life to the Lord. Folks, even our poor offerings can be used by God. The point is just step out there and reveal what you know, as much or as little as you can share. Just reveal what you know. Remember, it's God who saves people, it's not us. It's not your perfectly crafted sentence or having all the answers that saves people. It's God who saves people. He simply brings us into opportunities where he can use us for one piece of the greater puzzle and what he's trying to do in someone's life. Very, very rarely will one conversation or one answer be what helps them to take that step of faith. Almost in every case, it'll take time. It is a journey. And if what we can do is we can come alongside people and journey with them, help them find questions that maybe we don't have answers to, we can discover and learn together. Now, if you feel ill-equipped, Take advantage of the ministries we offer here as well. Luke mentioned that ministry guide that's available. There's all sorts of opportunities within there for how you can train yourself up and grow in your own knowledge with the Lord, which can be incredibly helpful through, through small groups that are starting and there's new ones that are coming along. There's other ministry opportunities and Bible studies you can go to. But the other one that we make available is Alpha. You see, that's part of the reason of Alpha. If you feel like you just don't understand the basics of theology, come to Alpha yourself and learn. Even if you've already accepted Christ, just come and learn the basics of theology about who Jesus is. But also, if you feel equipped to explain that to somebody, bring them to Alpha. Leverage the resources that we offer to you here as a church so that we can join you in helping to reveal Jesus Christ to people. A place where you or your friends can come in a no-pressure atmosphere to wrestle and consider the bigger questions of life. So if you ever feel ill-equipped to reveal Jesus... So that conviction, I hope, will, will propel you towards where you want to spend more time investing in your own growth. But don't allow that doubt or that question to become debilitating. Because you have a story to tell. Your, your testimony is a powerful story. And God will give you the words. He will give you the words, and then he will use them to impact somebody for eternity. And then finally, the last one I want to talk about here is, if I'm honest, well, I'm just fearful. I'm fearful what people might think if I actually reveal Jesus to them. And if you've ever thought this, I appreciate the honesty of it. Because nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes to set themselves up in a situation where they feel like there's a chance they're going to be humiliated. But let's keep it in perspective for a second. Because what are we really asking people to do? What is Jesus really asking people to step out and do? Is, is what he is, says in the Great Commission is, now what I want you to do is I want you to go down to White Avenue on Friday night around 2 a.m. when the bars let out. And get up on your soapbox and start preaching to all the drunks who are letting out of the bars. Very, very few of you are called to that. 
What we're called to is to reveal Jesus to people we already know, to people who already care about us, to people that we care about. To most of us, that's what we're called to do, is to seize those opportunities and those moments with the people who already know you and that you already know. And if they know you, there's a good chance they already know that you're a Christ follower, and so they're not going to be shocked if you talk about Jesus because they probably know that's part of your life. And if you think about it, whenever you give of your resources, of your time, of your energy, whenever you give a kind word, not out of obligation, but out of genuine love for other people, practically you're already revealing Jesus Christ to somebody. And so don't be surprised if in those moments, if people take notice, if people decide to ask you questions, why did you do that? Why, why you and not them? These are questions, these are opportunities where we can see an open door, an open heart, that we can then share the words of Jesus Christ. It, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, let your light shine before other people so that they may see your good deeds. Why? Because then they will glorify the Father in heaven. They can use these good deeds to turn the glory back towards God. But also consider this. If we believe that life with Jesus is far better than life without Jesus, it should bother us when we encounter people who don't know him. When you walk into a coffee shop, if you are sitting on a bus, if you pull up to an intersection and everyone is stopped at the intersection and you make eye contact with people in the other vehicles, when you walk into your homes, into your schools, when you're walking down the street, when you look at the community that surrounds the church, there are people who are trying to do life that don't know Jesus. There are people who will end this life and they will die not knowing Jesus. Do we believe we have something they need? Do we believe we have something that will make a difference here and now, but eternally in their lives? If we believe life with better is better with Jesus than life without, it should bother us when we come by some people who don't know him. But the reality is, is that people are more open to hear about him than you think they are. There is one fact that has gone throughout time, is that there has never been a people group throughout time, throughout history, that did not develop some sort of religion. Why? Because people have always and always will seek answers to these bigger questions in life. As part of the human condition that all of us have, there's always this desire to, to look for something that is bigger and beyond just ourselves. That part has never changed throughout history. Every people group has always asked these bigger questions. That has not changed. What has changed is where people go looking for the answers. There was a time when people come looking for those answers in the church. There's a time when they would come looking for those answers through the pastor. But now they go looking for the answers on the internet. They go to their friends. And they look within themselves and become their own authorities on matters of faith and morality. And if there's something we need to be fearful of, I suggest that's it. I suggest that's what we need to be fearful of. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because not only do we have the opportunity, but we have the command to go and reveal Jesus to all the people. We have a command to go forth and do that, to reveal him to all nations, his love, his forgiveness, and the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, before we conclude today, I'd like to introduce you to a couple that is here visiting with us today, to Jeff and Sonia Kilmartin, who are um, obeying God's call upon their lives to go and reveal Jesus. This is Jeff and Sonia here as they come up and join me. They are some of our newest NAB missionaries. 
And at the recommendation of the missions team and the approval of the elders board, we have partnered with this couple as they are very shortly about to head on into Cameroon for a long period of time, which they'll probably tell us a little bit about. And so before we wrap up today, I want to take an opportunity to give you a chance to meet them. They've got a, a, a booth in the, in the foyer there that you can talk with them and look at later on. But also, I thought, isn't it awesome that here with us, we have a couple who have heard God's call upon their life and are practically going out to reveal Jesus Christ to where he's called them to. And so I just want to ask you guys a couple of questions to help unpack that a little further for us, but also to get us to know you a little bit as well. So very basically, could you start just by letting us know, know a little bit about yourselves? So obviously I'm Sonia and he's Jeff. Yes. Um, we, are, uh, we have been married for 30 years. I feel old saying that. Um, we've spent almost 20 years in ministry, mostly entirely in the NAB including a year uh, working in Nigeria. And uh, we have four kids, currently aged 20 to 26. Those four kids with, went with us to Nigeria. They're not going with us uh, to Cameroon. <laughs> uh, they have a bit of a life of their own. And, um, and so we, as Pastor Mark said, we are on the cusp of going. We are now applying for our visas and booking our tickets uh, to go to Cameroon for, it's basically five-year terms at a time. So as long as we can do it, uh, we plan to do it. So in keeping with the terminology we've been using these past couple of weeks, can, can you explain to us uh, a little bit about the, the fishing hole, if you will, that God's called you to, and maybe even how that was revealed? Like sometimes people, people wrestle with, how do I understand or how do I come to know what God's calling me to? Can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the first thing I'll say is we're pretty normal. Um, <laughs> we're just... We're just normal. We're not great fishermen. I, I don't have the gift of fishing or anything like that. Um, and in fact, you know, finding the fishing hole, that's, that's a key. Uh, when we went to Nigeria, um, we found some people uh, among the Fulbe people, which is a, a tribal group over there, Muslim primarily. And they were serious about evangelism, about reaching their, their people for Jesus. And I thought, wow, th these people know, th these are the kind of people that I want to get to, uh, to know and to partner with. And uh, I could tell you stories about their fishing holes. It's amazing. But um, there, are, there are Muslim villages around us where we'll be living. And so that'll, that's going to be our primary fishing hole uh, there. And we're learning how to reach Muslims from our from our friends who are in Christ already because they all come out of a Islamic background. And, uh, yeah, so we're excited about that. Fantastic. Exciting. And I think you touched on it a bit already, but, but what sort of uh, barriers, maybe some cultural challenges, maybe even some, you know, if you're comfortable, even some fears maybe of, of the experience you've had or maybe you will have. And, and any thoughts on how you would press through those that we could learn from for our efforts here? I think the first thing I would like to say as I was listening to Pastor Mark is all of those barriers that he talks about, those are real for us over there as well. I think the biggest, or one of the funniest ones that come to mind is this idea of not having 
non-Christians in your circle because we're actually going to be living at the seminary. That's going to be part of Jeff's job. And it would be very easy and simple for us to focus on building relationships with those people. I'm working in education probably, so I can be working with the teachers in Christian schools, and I can limit my 90% of my time to dealing with non-Christian people. So a strategy I have to do is to be intentional about developing relationships. So when we deal with the next barrier with the full bay people which is language we have to be intentional about learning the language because we're not taking language training we have some great tools we ha- that uh, we have at our disposal some people that we're going to work with to help with that but we have to be intentional to open our circle to develop relationships with full bay non-believers so that they'll be part of our circle i think um um yeah so this you know not knowing people um those kind of things Another barrier, a huge one, is just cultural differences. And I just, I want you to realize again that that's pretty normal even for you. If you walk into your neighbor's house, they have a different culture than you. You go in expecting that they have the same priorities, that they have the same desires and, and, and things like that. And they don't always. And so when we deal with the, with the full bay people, um, one of the strategies is to just listen. Don't assume that you have the answers. Don't assume that they're simple answers either. Uh, go in, listen, and learn about those people and um, learn what their, how their culture works. And um, especially in our multicultural society, that's super true here as well. Um, and, um, yeah. Um, another, I think the last one for us too in, in a strategy for dealing with these things is really obvious, but it's prayer. And um, we, we need prayer. We need to pray, um, you know, openness to God, to, to have your ears and eyes open to the opportunity is so huge. I always said to people, you know, it's amazing when I say to God, open my eyes to an opportunity today. Amazing. He does it. If I don't ask, I don't hear it. I'm not listening. Um, so prayer, prayer for each other. And uh, on that note, we back at our booth, if you are interested in signing up for our uh, email updates for prayer so you know how to pray for us specifically, uh, that's just a huge, huge tool for us. Fantastic. And, and maybe the last question for, for our time here is, is, could you share with us some recent breakthroughs or successes that, that God's been doing that are really making you excited to come and join what's happening there? Yeah, Cameroon and Nigeria are interesting, quote-unquote, places to be. Um, there's, there's always things happening. Lots of bad things happen over there. Um, and uh, just kind of like your story, you know, this sort of off uh, encounter with this woman, God is able to use that. Well, God is able to turn things around uh, for good. Uh, we see that over and over again. Right now, there's been a conflict among our friends, um, not among our friends, sorry, but uh, among the people groups on the plateau where we'll be ministering primarily. And uh, people have died, and people have had to flee from their homes and so on. Um, but one of the things that is crucial over there is is community. And the the people who are Christians there, they have said, listen, if you need to come, you can come to our community. And so Christians have come to them, Muslims have come to them to be there. And there's about uh, 130 refugees in their community right now. 
And uh, they have been helped by people on this side of uh, the ocean. And the Muslims there, um, on learning about the kind of help that they're getting from Christians, have just, well, they've had their eyes open. They said, this cannot be. How can this be that you are helping us? Um, and they're able to share, you know, this is just the love of Jesus. Um, and the, this is our story, that God has loved us, and now, you know, he loves you too. And uh, great things are happening. Uh, if you talk to us back there, we'll, I can share lots more on that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, great God is doing things, even in the midst of hardship there. Fantastic. So great to hear from you, and we're glad to have you with us here today. If you do have, uh, if you want to wish them well, sign up for their uh, prayer list and updates, I'm sure, through there as well, uh, or ask any more questions or get to know a bit better. They will have a, they have a table out in the foyer there. I know they would love to hear from you. Uh, we, on behalf of the church, are, are thrilled to be partnering with you on, on the mission that, I guess, a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, you'll be heading just after Thanksgiving. Hopefully you'll be heading out on this ministry, and uh, we'll be praying for you, and we look forward to, uh, to hearing updates and continue to support you, not just financially, but through prayers, and who knows, maybe we'll get a team together one day to come and, uh, and step foot over there with you. We'll see what that looks like. That's cool. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, there we are. Some people from among us in our area, and now they're being called to a place that a lot of us won't have. As we talked last week, some people are called to vocational full-time ministry. Most of whoever are called to be teachers and plumbers and construction workers and office workers. But that doesn't mean we haven't got a fishing hole. We need to identify where that is. And so I invite you, if you just stand for a closing word of prayer as the worship team comes to join us up here as well. And if I, I want to extend two invitations to you today as we go to prayer. First off... If you are here today and you are not walking hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus Christ, I personally hope that he has been revealed to you today. That his love and that his saving power upon the cross, that that God sent his one and only son, that whoever would place their faith in him would have eternal life. That that's an invitation that extends to you today to come and have that personal encounter. I invite you to come and do that and come talk to myself or come join our Alpha program starting tomorrow night and learn more about what that means. For those of us who've already made that decision and we're walking with Christ, I invite you to again reconsider who is it that you can reach out to to reveal Jesus Christ? What circle can you open so that maybe you have more people to invite to get to know Jesus Christ? I want to pray for us to that end and then the worship team will close our service today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this missionary couple. We thank you for Jeff and Sonia for, for not only their desire and passion for the people you've called them to serve, but, but Lord, first and foremost, for their desire to hear, but their willingness to leave and go as well. Lord, we know that there are struggles in doing so. We know they're leaving behind comforts in a congregation. They're leaving behind family in a way. God, I pray that you would just walk with them closely each and every day. That you would protect them. That you would guide them. That that as they serve you faithfully, that you would bless the work of their hands. That it would encourage them and build them up to continue serving you with incredible um, strength and conviction. That, Lord, even when it feels like they're fumbling the ball, that they would have confidence that you can even work with that. Because you, God, you are the one who saves. 
We just seek to be your instruments. For those of us who are here who will go out later today or tomorrow back to the places that we live and work and play, I pray, God, the same for us, that we would be missionaries in those areas. And that as we've experienced your love, we would have desire and eyes to see those who do not yet know you. And a desire to get them to see you for who you are. That they too may have an encounter with Jesus Christ that would totally change not only their life here today in this time, but for all eternity. Pray this in Jesus' name.